Thank you, Barry, for uh, doing that song, and guys who for doing that reading to focus our thoughts for a moment on um, <clears throat> this dilemma that this man, Joseph, from the town of Nazareth in the country of Israel, had upon his shoulders. <clears throat> I was thinking as I drove to church this morning, there are, have been a number of people throughout history whose name was Joseph who were very famous or very infamous. Our current president of our country is named Joseph. Word means, Yasaf in Hebrew means to add on, to increase, to grow. And uh, <clears throat> this is what Jacob's wife, Rebecca, when she finally got pregnant after trying and then after giving her maid to Jacob and and this uh, crazy story of two sisters who were having children one after the other. And she finally had her own child, and she said, God has added to my life. And so she came up with this description, and so this was the meaning of this famous name of the Joseph of the Old Testament. Of course, I was thinking also of Joseph Stalin, one of the mass executioners and murderers of our world's history, and how... Many different people, many different men have uh, used and blessed and honored as well as abused this uh, wonderful name, Joseph, and uh, how common and honorable a name that it is in our own culture and our society. Last week, I described a little bit about the life of Mary, and I want to come to some questions and some issues from Joseph today. And uh, the first thing that I will mention is this simple thought. We really don't know much about Joseph. As far as scholarship and historians and, and people that try to dig facts out of the bedrock of, of archaeology and language and so forth, uh, the Bible mentions him a couple of times. Uh, Matthew and Luke mention him only several times. And actually, it's always to do with the birth of Jesus or the incident at the temple when he was 12. And then at that point, Joseph is no longer ever mentioned in the gospel story. And the assumption by many scholars is that he must have died. Perhaps he was older than Mary at the early stage of their lives or of their marriage but that he probably died and was no longer part of the life, the earthly life of Jesus. And one of, the, one of the main indicators of that would be what Jesus said at the cross when he looked down in his last moments of earthly life and he saw his mother there with him, as we talked about last week. And he said to John, his friend and his disciple, she's your mother now. And he said to Mary, pointing to John, um, this is your son, your caretaker. So the assumption would naturally tend to be that Joseph must have no longer been on the scene at that point and would explain why he's really not mentioned. But beyond that fact that he was there at the beginning, we don't know very much about Jesus. We do know, as these guys pointed out to us, that Joseph was a craftsman. And so in his village of Nazareth, um, 
he would have used these kind of tools, these old wooden tools to do very honorable work with his hands of construction and building of furniture or homes or whatever. During uh, the lifetime of Jesus, there was Herod the Great had a huge building project going on in a, a village that was only several miles away from Nazareth. So it's very possible that Joseph and maybe Jesus would have gone and been employed there just as day workers who would come and be hired and so forth. Uh, we do know he was a carpenter, and the question there, it's, I had put it there in your bulletin, uh, in your bulletin this morning in Matthew 13, 30, 30, uh, 55, is a question that was asked one day when there was some controversy about Jesus and what he said and what he did. And somebody said, well, isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, we don't understand how from such a humble uh, beginning or a humble background, we don't understand how he could be so sophisticated. We don't understand how he could have uh, these tricks or this power or this miraculous ability that he has. We don't, he's just, we, we know where he came from. Isn't he the carpenter's son? So this we know. That's not much, but it is something. The other thing that is used as a descriptor of Joseph, and this is in Matthew chapter 1, is that he was a righteous man. <clears throat> that, of course, isn't referring to his physical ability or his, or his profession. That's, of course, an inner character description of Joseph. I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and I'll just read the rest of this chapter. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the construction there is, a, is a, 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 in the language, is a, a construction that says this is the means. This is the, this is the avenue through which this happens. So whether you translate it through or by, you're saying that the Holy Spirit somehow enabled Mary to become pregnant. This is what Christians believe. This is what the Bible teaches us. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, here it is, this is this description of him, not physically or even mentally, but in his soul. He was, in, he was straight. The word righteous has its roots in the idea of being straight, not crooked, not curved, straight. And so um, Joseph was a man who had integrity. He said what he meant he did what he said and these kind of things he's a he was a righteous man he wasn't duplicitous he wasn't deceiving he wasn't cunning or conniving he he was honest and truthful and sincere in his life and his commitments and so forth that's the idea of righteous he was a righteous man and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind, therefore, to divorce her quietly. So you, you, may, you, you may say, well, you said they were engaged. You didn't say they were married. And this is true, the best we can ascertain. They had not formally been married at the point where the discovery of pregnancy happened. But as you've probably heard many times in your life, the cultural and the social setting through which Joseph and Mary lived, navigated, was that betrothal was betrothal uh, in that 
in that time was 100% serious. It brought two families together. It began connections that were not taken lightly. And so um, the word divorce is not uncommon in other literature to be used of someone who had a, went through a broken engagement. Divorce, the word is to let go. And so Joseph determined and he decided to let her go because she's pregnant. There's an inescapable conclusion here in his mind. And he, so he decides to let her go, but he wanted to do it quietly. I want to come back to that. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In other words, don't, don't let this relationship go. Take this relationship in. Clasp your hands and your arms and your life around this woman and, and, and cleave unto her. Don't divorce away from her. So the, the angel's coming and saying, I want you to do, God wants you to do exactly the opposite of what your human instinct here is to do. Do not be afraid because to take her as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Yasha, from which the word Jesus is derived, means to save. You just grab your hand out there and you pull some guy out of the water. You have saved him. And that's exactly the meaning of the word from which the the name, the, the Greek name Jesus comes, the Greek form. So this is what the angel was saying. God's chosen designation and name for your child will be the Savior because he's going to save people. And then to get into detail, but we know and understand that he saves us from hell. He saves us from misery. He saves us from punishment. He saves us from our own selves. He saves us from doing many foolish and regretful things because he's the Savior. And this is what the angel was communicating. At this point, I'm sorry, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. This is still the, uh, no, this isn't the angel speaking. This is just Matthew interpreting what was happening. It took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. So he got with the program, and he said, okay, if God's going to show up and talk to me and say to me, marry this woman, I'm going to marry her. And I will uh, obey, and I'm just going to fasten my feet into the stirrups and, and go for the ride and see where it ends up. Uh, and so he, he took her home as his wife. So they actually had a ceremony. They had a wedding. They had a, a, a public uh, joining together for their future. But he had no union with her. This, of course, is talking about the sexual side of marriage. This did not happen until, we talked about this last week, until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, gave him the name. And that's only because culturally, it was the dad's job, the dad's uh, prerogative to pick a name. And it says, he, Joseph, gave Jesus this name, the child, this name of Jesus. <clears throat> so we, ought, we would have loved to know more about Joseph, but we, we don't. Um, you know, I mentioned last week that 
the artists have always enjoyed and the musicians have always enjoyed contemplating Mary. Not so much with Joseph, but there are those paintings and those, uh, I, I assume this is, uh, well, anyway, uh, through the Middle Ages and through the ancient times, people who had abilities to do art have tried to imagine what perhaps life would have been like for Joseph. Of course, Joseph doesn't get near the press that Mary does. Even in music, you, you, you hardly ever mention, hear Joseph mentioned in a song. Thank you, Barry, again, for singing Joseph's song to us. Um, mostly, you hear about Mary in the music. This is a picture or a drawing, a painting of Joseph on the flight to Egypt. And I want to think about that for just a moment in, in a minute. What a, what a crazy thing to take off and flee your own country with, because of some kid that's not even yours, doesn't even belong to you. And yet you so fully immerse yourself in that role that you run off in the middle of the night, you don't tell your family where you're going, and you don't know when you're going to get back, and you don't know what's going to happen to your job, and you don't know where you're going to get money from, and all kinds of stuff that encompassed this, this flight to Egypt. And Joseph did it, and he did it apparently willing and gladly. <clears throat> Let's come back for a moment to this first issue of the pregnancy, when it was discovered that Joseph or that Mary uh, was with child. Joseph, of course, as I have here in your sermon notes, believed that Mary had been unfaithful to him. I mean, what other conclusion could he possibly, possibly draw? There, the world had never had an event like what was getting to happen. What was getting ready to happen? No one in all history had ever produced a baby without. Somehow, a husband, a man, and a woman being together. So this was, cr this was a crazy situation. Joseph would have never had a second thought about the, how it could be possible that uh, Mary could be pregnant. And so he made the decision that that act on her part of betrayal and unfaithfulness would necessarily split them apart in their life. He couldn't, he couldn't tolerate this, so he would break up with his Beloved fiance. Now, you know, I've been around long enough to realize there's more than one way to do this when couples break up. I mean, uh, often, especially if there's an issue of betrayal somehow that's part of it, there's a lot of ranting and raving and kicking and screaming and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of nasty words slung and accusations and, and you know, bitter things said and done. Uh, there's lots of stories, and we could tell of when, when one person got angry at another because uh, they felt that they were betrayed, and uh, many people have found themselves in pretty hot water after a confrontation that was a result of something like this. How amazing is it that this man, this individual, was not like that with his character? He was not filled with pride even though he felt he had been sinned against, even though he felt that he had been betrayed, uh, he did not yield to this temptation to rush in screaming and say to Mary, what have you done? And this will, you know, this will, you'll never be sorry. You'll, you'll never be, um, 
I, you'll always be sorry that you did this to me, and, and you know, this kind of anger and vitriol. It was, it was exactly the opposite of that. Usually, when couples break up, especially for some such reason, it seems like that the exit is more hurtful and hateful rather than graceful. But Joseph was determined to give Mary a graceful exit, to, to do what he could to, uh, to draw the least possible attention to this mistake or this sin, to, to cause the least possible hurt to her or to her family. I just think it's, a, I think it's, it's so amazing. And I think, and this is the part that I really want to convey to you this morning, that it gives to us a picture of what true love is, authentic love, not self-centered love, not love that says, I love you, <laughs> and focuses on the I, but love that says, I love you, and focuses on that end of the sentence. Um, and what it says to me is that when we really love someone, and this isn't just about husband and wives or even parents and children, when we really love, when our love is true and authentic, it is able somehow to see the divine side of things and to say, now what would God say in this situation? I wonder how I can convey what God would do or think or feel here to this person who has sinned or who has done some kind of wrong, who has blasphemed or, or, or been immoral or has, has been a thief or whatever it is. How can I? Keep in mind the image of God within them. How can I keep in mind and respond to the sacredness of their life and of, of, of this dignity that God has given to them while at the same time uh, being true to my role as someone whose job it is to let you go or punish you or whatever. And at the same time, realizing that no matter what, what verdict has to come down or what kind of condemnation needs to come, how can I also, along with the sacred, feel for you? How can I put myself in your shoes? How can I say and, and, and develop within me this idea, what if it was me? Instead of you. Not what do I feel like in this moment. But how would I like to be treated. In this moment. That is the, is the gritty. Work. Of love. That, uh, that. That doesn't simply look at the. Look at the righteous side of things. But. The, that, that asks the question. How can I help you. Even if I don't. Even when I don't believe your story. Is it possible that I can communicate comfort to this person even while I communicate consequence to this person? Can I protect you and your dignity even while I punish your iniquity? Is this is this is there a way? Is there a path forward in this? 
This is the, this is the task of, and not only the task of love, this is the desire of love. Love wants to live like this. Love wants to behave like this. Love is not interested in punishing, even though love does punish. And consequences do flow. It's not, it, it's, it's not, that's not where the joy of love is. You know, I, I'm going to share a quick incident. We had uh, an incident here at the church, this has been years ago, um, where an individual stole some money. This was the church's money, not my personal money. This was the church's money. And uh, we, we found this out with no doubt, with proof. And I remember meeting with this individual and saying, okay, here's the deal. Uh, this money is, is God's money. This money is money that people have faithfully given and, and expect to be treated with absolute honesty and so forth. So this won't do what you've done. This won't stand. So here's the deal. Uh, I had determined this in my mind that I said to, to this person, uh, if you're stubborn and haughty as we go through this process, I will take this issue to the police and we will prosecute you. However, if you're humble and you meet three conditions, then it will not be prosecuted. And these conditions are, number one, every dime of this will come back. You will pay back every dime of this. Not, not, not partial. You will pay it all back. Number two, uh, you will continue to attend church. I will not allow this. I'm not interested in this thing becoming a temptation where your heart becomes hard and bitter and you say, well, I... You know, I made a mistake and I did something wrong and I don't, I don't want to sit and listen and be part of a sit situation. I said, I, I, that will be your temptation to run away. And I don't want to see that. And so this is part of my condition that you continue to come and you participate in the life of this church. Number three, your spouse has to know because in that it was determined that the spouse did not know. Your spouse has to know and be part of all this. And, uh, and I... I'm saying this to say to you that, and what I said to them was, if you meet these conditions, if you meet these three conditions, your name will never pass my lips. And nobody, even if they ever found out that something like this happened, and this was a long time ago, uh, nobody will ever know from me who this person was. Never. And thankfully, that person did respond to those conditions. And the money was returned. And the church participation and the church worship was continued on their part. And I say that simply as maybe sort of an illustration of the fact that I, in, in that moment, I was committed to punishing. I was committed to justice. But at the same time, I wasn't interested in humiliating them. I wasn't hoping they would go to prison or have to be prosecuted. But just the opposite. Like, like Joseph must have felt towards this, this woman that he loved so much. You know, um, I, I want to just read this. Love does not, this is 1 Corinthians 13, love does not delight in evil. Love doesn't laugh at the consequences that somebody's going through. If somebody has to be divorced, as Joseph thought Mary did, uh, it's still a horrible situation. And, and this scripture is saying to us that authentic love never laughs at a situation that's not funny. 
it grieves, it mourns, because it always wants to protect that person. And it doesn't want to see the punishment uh, bypass or overwhelm or circumnavigate the protection. It wants somehow to hang on to both and say, listen, for the, for the sake of your protection, I'm not going to drop the punishment. You are guilty of a crime or a wrong, and that must be made right. However, for the sake of the, of the, of the punishment, I don't want to have to go the, the, forgo the protection. Um, this is a dilemma many times in life, in many circumstances, because sometimes the crime is so shocking or disturbing or disgusting that uh, it, it, it challenges everything within us. I'm reading, I've been reading several World War II books, historical books about World War II, and one recently I read was about the trials at Nuremberg and, and these monstrous people with their monstrous ideologies and their monstrous capabilities and their absolute hatred of anything that was not like themselves and the trial and the arrogance that many of them had. And yet, you know, based on a civilization, based on the law of Christ and the, the essence of what love really is that is communicated to us through, through Scripture, didn't treat them just in the same way that they treated many of their Jewish victims, many of their, of their victims. They were given a dignified trial. They were given the opportunity, even on the way to the gallows, to speak with uh, a minister or a rabbi or, or, or a, a priest. Wouldn't have been a rabbi, I don't think, in any of their cases. But they were given the opportunity to um, receive communion. They were given the opportunity to speak or to say a last word or to express their opinion or their their regret or what, like they were treated with dignity, and this is a direct result of the teaching of the scripture to um, to our civilization. So, I'm just simply saying, is it possible that we can treat people in this way? And my answer is absolutely, it is possible. Is it tough? It is terrible tough. It is amazingly tough because our emotions want to jump the gun. But this is an example for us. Joseph wanted to, to do whatever he could to protect the dignity of Mary. Okay, here's a second, uh, a second point about this man. And that is that the Bible presents him as someone who was so involved and so interested and so unselfish and so uh, uh, given to the role of being the guardian and the overseer and the father of Jesus that many people actually thought he was. I mean, those who weren't privy to the angel's dream and those who just saw that Mary and Joseph got married and, you know, maybe uh, uh, less than nine months later she was given birth to a child, just figured, well, the age-old uh, age situation arrived where, where they got a little early on this thing. But... Uh, they thought that Joseph was Jesus' biological father. Here are a couple of places in the Bible where it mentions Joseph in his role as a father. We know, for example, that when Jesus was eight days old, Joseph and Mary took him up to the temple, and that's where he met Simeon and Anna and, and so forth. And, uh, and so this was just, you know, this is what fathers do. They do the things that are are needed to be done for their baby. 
this thing that I already mentioned that is so horrific that it blows my mind that anybody would possibly do this and, and on a moment's notice with no preparation for this. If you can imagine, just uh, recently, let's say you became a, a foster, not, not a foster, you, you, you married someone who had a baby that wasn't yours and just suddenly that baby, there was a threat to that baby and you had to take off and leave your country. And, it, and, and just uh, to, to think of the disruption of his life. What about his own family? What about his job? What about his reputation? Who took care of his house in Nazareth? We don't know for exa- exactly how long he was in Egypt, but it was many months, apparently. It was not, it says, until after Herod died that Joseph was, felt free to come back. And so uh, this... This was a major inconvenience and a major disruption. What's he going to do for money while he's there? I mean, he has a cart, he has a he has a home-based business, but what's he going to do when he's immigrated and, and fled to another place? Um, we know, and this is also from Luke two, the ending of the chapter where it tells the story of how Jesus was left behind in the crush of the crowd in Passover at Passover time, but but this was a tradition that Joseph each year took in with his family and his son Jesus. And he provided, it says, a stable home in Nazareth for Jesus. I mean, it doesn't use the word stable, but we assume that this is the stability that Joseph, that, that Joseph provided. He acted as a father so much and so well that he was assumed to be Jesus' biological father. And I want to just Relate that also for a moment to the true authentic love. Just as, as the love wants to protect even while it needs to punish. Love sees outside of itself. And, and you know, I, I salute many of you here in this room and in our church family who exhibit this in amazing ways. Some of you are adoptive parents or foster parents or have brought together blended families and where you have said, you know, this is, this is crazy. This is a crazy situation. But I refuse to exit and wash my hands of it and ignore it because I love this person or I love these people. And I'll just do whatever it takes. And if that means that my life's going to get pretty messy, and if it means that nothing is ever really real clean cut and the lines aren't real cleanly drawn and there's just a lot of a lot of 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 messiness around the edges of of what belongs to me and what my role is and many of you who who are who are blended have blended families find find your life uh consumed with these questions of of what is my part and my role in this family uh, especially if there's children who do not belong to me, biologically. How, can, 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 can love recognize that, there, that you're not alone? Yes, that's what love does. That this person and their needs or this person and their hopes are just as, vi- are just as real and just as valuable as me. And my dreams and my hopes. You know, I remember once many years ago, I was in Honduras and I was with a construction project there. And there was a lady who would come every day and she would do our laundry. 
and uh, she would scrub these clothes with an old hand uh, uh, scrub board, something, something, something. I can't think what you call it, washboard. And then she would lay them out on the shrubs and the bushes to dry in the sun. And, uh, and she was a big lady. And she would come every day. I don't know who engaged her. I don't know anything about her. But one day I saw her as we were getting near lunchtime. She was, in, she was out here spreading laundry on the, on the trees and, and so forth. And I happened to be near the house. And I said to the ladies who were there to help feed us in this, in this joint, in the, on this venture, I said, hey, when you're making sandwiches or food or whatever, can be sure to make a sandwich or two for, this wash, for the washer lady out here. Because I don't know anything about her situation, and, and you know I don't know if she brought food or what, but we got plenty to be sure to include her. And they said yes, they were going to do that, and they'd already thought of that. So anyway, uh, we broke for lunch. As I'm walking in towards the building where we were going to eat, I will never forget this. This lady left her wash tub, and she crossed at a 45, and she met me before I got into the house, and and. And she said, Tienes hambre? Are you hungry? And I said, Si, senorita, I'm very hungry. And I thought this was just conversation. You know, she's saying, Oh, it's lunchtime. Are you hungry? And I said, Yeah, man, I'm hungry. And she said, Tingo hambre tambien. And she stabbed me with her finger. Tingo hambre tambien. I am hungry also. And I never forgot that. Thankfully, we had food prepared for her. And we gave her food. But it, 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 was, it was a message that just went right to my bones. That this lady over here, seeing me in my world, had the exact same desires and needs and hopes that I had. It was lunchtime and I was hungry. Well, duh, so was she. And she just wanted to remind me of that and tell me that. This is what love sees. And understands that others also have needs and hopes. And so Joseph in this moment realized that, you know, when the angel came and explained things a little bit, he was saying, wow, I can see <laughs> real quickly that the, that the years ahead are not going to mostly be about me. And it's not going to be about myself having a, a quiet and ordered life. I think my life is going to be probably pretty crazy. In fact, I think I can take the plans and just pitch them. Whatever I've written down or drawn up and saying this is, this is what I'm going to accomplish with my life. I can see right now it's not going to happen that way. Because God brought a baby into my world. And he brought a woman who had a baby. And this is a crazy circumstance. And somehow or other, I'm destined to be part of this ride. And that I recognize because I have love, authentic, true, real love, that's no problem. So I'll just say it like this for, for all of us. Uh, we all like clean, neat, orderly, tidy lives. And I'm not saying by that that anything about your personality. I'm just saying we don't like surprises. We don't like sudden uh, phone calls that say you better run. Somebody's after you in the middle of the night. We don't like debt suddenly plunging in on us like, whoa, I didn't even, I didn't calculate in my budget six months in an Egyptian hotel. I didn't plan on that and so forth. We, we don't like messy stuff. 
We'd like to be able to plan and know and prepare and so forth. And that's good. We should try. But sometimes God just comes along and says, uh, in spite of your dreams and in spite of your plans or hopes, I, got, I have a job for you to do. I have a task for you. You have a baby to raise. You got a woman to take care of. Get comfortable. In Matthew, I, I gave a script. I have a scripture here in your sermon notes that is wrong. It's Matthew 10 rather than Matthew 7. That's my error. Jesus said that there are times when following me is going to bring such misunderstanding into your life that your own family will get mad at you. That's what Jesus said. There are times where your father or mother will say, child, what is wrong with you? And you will say, but mom or dad, you don't understand. I had this dream and an angel said to me, take Mary to be your wife. So, I'm sorry that this is an issue that's difficult for you and I because over here, this is what love had to do. And this is where love had to give. Authentic love says that's what's important and that's what's real. And Joseph is an amazing example of it. And those of you, you know, we have uh, we had a family in our congregation. And I can speak of this because they're they're gone. Uh, they raised their children. And then uh, they had to turn around and raise a grandchild. And they did, and they did it gladly and gratefully and gracefully. And then they had to turn around and raise their grandchild's child. And they did that. And they actually adopted their great-grandchild and raised him. And they, are at that, and they at that time, this husband and wife, were probably 80 years old. And they were starting over with another kid. This is what I'm talking about. The conditions can get pretty messy. But the angel comes and says, this, this, is, this is what God has for you. Do not be afraid to do this. Take Mary to be your wife. Okay, so let me just close by mentioning this. That part of the nature of love, in this case, was to play second fiddle. Part of the expression of love for Joseph was that he, he always, through his whole life, was never the one getting the coverage. He was the one supporting in the background. Mary was highly favored by God. It never says, it never tells us in the scripture that Joseph was highly favored by God. The angel didn't come to him and say, greetings, Joseph, highly favored by God. He just came and said, hey, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary, the, the one who was highly favored by God. So, so I, I want to close just with this, with this realization, with this, this thought, and that is that, that, that love, true, authentic love, is okay with that. We, we don't have to dominate. This is what the scripture teaches us. This is the kind of image that God demonstrates to us. That if someone else has the limelight and it's my role to love and support, 
then uh, this is absolutely, this is, this is great. This is my role, and this I can do, and this, is I can, this I can handle. I'm impressed when I read the scriptures, the gospels, that it never appears in any way that Joseph was competing with Mary for attention or acclaim in any way, that he was, that he was trying in any way to um, over, uh, to be, that, he, that he was expressing in any way jealousy about her. And this is what, you know, I, I, I want us to think of as we close. It don't matter who it is, it doesn't have to be your, your own family, but any situation where this could be a work-related uh, uh, principle where someone else gets the attention or someone else gets the advantage and, um, and you know, your, your job is, is just, uh, it seems to kind of come along in the wake and fill in the details. But the other person is the beloved, or the other person is the blessed one. Listen to me for a moment. Love rejoices in the blessings of others. And that's, that cannot happen inadvertently. That cannot happen by accident. It happens when you think it through and you say, well, good for her. I am happy that she is blessed. Yes, her blessing is a, messy, is a messy thing for me. But it's not my role, it's not my goal, it's not the desire of my life to in any way infringe upon or compete with that blessing. Here's how the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not envy. So Mary or Joseph, so Joseph shows us an example of someone who's not envying the attention that's poured out upon or the blessed role that is given to his wife. He says, Wonderful, I will help make this possible. During our missions conference last year, I was so impressed with a uh, husband of Abby Farmer Martin who we support, uh, a, a gal uh, who actually is from Waynesboro area. And his name is Phil, and, and they stayed with Cindy and I during our conference. And I will never forget something that he said to me as I was talking about him about what does he do, and what is his work, and what is his role, and so forth. And uh, they live in Dallas. And Phil said to me, you know the Old Testament story where Elijah was running from the Lord and he got exhausted and he fell asleep under a tree and he got awake and he got awake somebody tapped him on the toe and he got awake and there's an angel standing there and the angel's just holding a loaf of bread and a jug of water and saying, Elijah, you need nourishment. Here's food for you. Rise and eat. I said, yeah, I know that story. He said, my goal is to just be that angel. I just, she's called to this. This is her passion and this is her role so therefore, this is her responsibility. And it's my role and my goal to just stand at her feet with a loaf of bread and a jug of water and say, how can I help you? I'll never forget it. This was no jealousy. There was, no, there was, there was nothing here self-seeking at all. Love rejoices with those who rejoice. So 
Joseph jumped into and got involved into a pretty messy situation. There's a lot of chaos in it. And it's not the greatest situation, you know, for loving and trusting when you come into a situation where you have a pregnant girlfriend. And, but he did just that. Now, you may say, well, I could do that too if an angel came and told me what's going on. I guess I could accept some pretty strange circumstances too. I mean, he did have some help. And yes, he did. The answer is the truth. But I want to close by saying this. We don't need an angel. God doesn't, it seems as if uh, God very seldom sends angels to clear, clarify these things. He's given us the description of what love is. He's told us how to live. We can figure out the details from that. We don't need an angel. This is what he's given us. And I think Joseph is a tremendous example to us. The fact that it can happen. And it can be done. Oh God our Father. We thank you for this man and his inspiration and his, uh, his, his, his journey and his inspiration to us. Uh, we find ourselves in very different circumstances than him, and yet, perhaps not so different. We may not be faced with a pregnant girlfriend, but we may be faced with something that seems to us just as puzzling and just as, as infuriating or frustrating or puzzling or messy, awkward. How can I bring anything good out of this situation? I love the person, but man, I hate to wade into this situation. We all have these opportunities. And we pray this morning for your divine help and wisdom and power to do, these, to do the very kind of thing that love would do that Jesus did because he saw even examples as a human being from his own earthly father, Joseph. And so we humbly, we humbly pray not that you would tidy up our circumstances, but that you would deepen our love and make it more real and more mature and stronger. In the name of Jesus.